Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard, I'll be your host for this evening. And uh, joining me tonight is a gentleman by the name of Andrew Burkett. Um, and the episode title is going to be called We Plough the Fields and Run Terrified. Now, I know why it's called that. And you will know why it's called that. Um, so, good evening, Andrew. Or good afternoon, Andrew. Or good early evening, Andrew. Because <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're, in, you're in America, aren't you? Yep, I'm in Orlando, Florida. Ah, right. So you're only about five hours away anyway. So that's not... You're practically next door, as it is. <laughs> yeah, not so too you, bad. <laughs> so you well? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm very, very good indeed, um, and I'm delighted to have you on the show, um, because tonight we are here to talk about a couple of things. We are here to talk about um, Theris Games. We are um, also here to talk about your latest, um, well, your, your latest Kickstarter, which is called um, Mutant Crops, which is currently live as well. But more importantly, we're also here to find out a little bit more about your good self. Now, um, for people that haven't listened to the show before, the reason that we do this is because there's not enough podcasts out there about um, board games. I've checked. Um, there isn't. There's no absolutely no need for you to check at all. And the second reason that we do this podcast is because I want to find out what mutant crops are, what they do, and exactly how terrifying they can be. So, but um, before we do that, we like to have a little kind of jump back into the past, have a hangabout in the present before we look at the future. So, Andrew, um, first of all, thank you very much for coming on. Um, Secondly, do you want to tell the good people out there a little bit about how you actually got into kind of the hobby in the first place? So, uh, how I got into it is significantly yeah. different than most people. Um, so I actually started by when I was younger, I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, and then I kind of got out of it and didn't play any board games or uh, any like particularly hobby games for several years. And then I decided to come up with this automotive theme, like uh, livable card game. And so I was working on that for a while and then basically spent all my money on artwork and realized that I couldn't finish it and then decided to design a board game because it was more feasible for me to develop that than a livable card game that had you know crazy amounts of money into artwork and then I just started playing board games a lot and realized that I really love it so that's how I got into it what was the um, what was that first game about then the one that you you planned and then you you canned so the the first game is an automotive theme uh so it's a racing trading card game basically and so the idea for it was that you would be able to like upgrade your cars and sabotage your opponent's cars and you could race on various tracks and depending on the tracks different cars would be better so you'd have to build your decks knowing what you and your opponents had for tracks because each player could play a certain Mm -hmm. number of tracks um and then you could also go to car shows and stuff like that. I still when, play it. You still play it? When did you when did you develop it? How old were you when you were kind of I, developing that game? I started it when I was seventeen. Um All right. and then I'm twenty two now. So I've been working on the company since then. Um but I didn't launch our first game until 
October 2015. But you said you kind of you 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 stepped on and you found some love in the kind of the board games. I mean, is there any board games that kind of first? What were the first board games that kind of grabbed you? What are the ones that made you think, well, this is fantastic. I want to, I want to play more of these. So really, I was playing a lot of like really intense games just because I I started joining the uh, a gaming group and the only games they played were like really hardcore and so I I came in um, with having never really played board games other than Monopoly having to play like two to four hour games and that kind of got me to be nervous about the offerings and then finally someone was like. You probably should play a, a little lighter of games since you don't play a lot of games. So they had me play Smash Up, and I really liked it. And, All right, uh, okay. So Did, uh, yeah, yeah, that that might have done it. Is once they had me play Smash Up, I realized like, oh, they can be fun in that not all board games are four hours long um, <laughs> and incredibly difficult to understand. <laughs> were they trying to get you to play like some heavy euros? Was that what they? Yeah, what and, they were trying. <laughs> I, I don't mind that now, but at the time it was like kind of daunting, I guess. So <laughs> after that, yeah, what's the kind of stuff that you're playing now? So I um uh, I like Battlestar Galactica and Deception style games like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Sheriff of Nottingham, and uh, mm-hmm. I play Deception, Murder in Hong Kong a lot, and Dixa and things like that because my gaming group tends to play lighter stuff, and the only time I'm able to play like. BSG and stuff like that is at gaming stores. So. Talk to me about Deception and Murder in Hong Kong because I it's a game that continually floats on and off my radar and people have said it's pretty much it's kind of like Mysterium an awful lot but it's also like a kind of like a, a Deception um, hidden kind of game as well. So what how enlighten me because people keep saying it's absolutely fantastic but i haven't looked into it properly so what's that all about okay so i i really enjoy it so basically what you have is there's a murderer and um each player there there's one investigator that um will like know the entire murder who did it and with what weapon and how their like means of alluring the people essentially yeah um and so that investigator will know and all the other players will have several, depending on how many players they're with and the level of difficulty, a certain number of weapons in front of them and a certain number of like means to the murder. Um, right. And so then everyone will kind of go to sleep like werewolf and the murderer will have a card that says they're the murderer and they'll pick among the cards in front of them one weapon that they killed the person with and one means to the murder. And then the lead investigator's job is to use le- little clue cards and put bullets on what clues they want to give the players. Um, and then all the players, including the murderer, have to kind of lead people into thinking a certain person did it with certain weapons. And so it's really story-driven, which is something I care about. So like I'll, I know it's more fun when I play with people that are very like story-oriented people because mm. they'll be like, Oh, he killed them with this, and they'll go into the whole story of like how this person lured them in with with a uh, meeple, or like there's all kinds of crazy things. Uh, a <laughs> meeple is one of the ones I think was um, added for a Kickstarter exclusive card when I backed it. So was all right, cool. okay. Do you? I mean, are you quite into the kind of the role playing? Would you prefer? Is it a better game when people are actually preferring 
are actually playing the characters that they are on the card as opposed to being kind of like well this is me this is me this is me does it like a does it kind of encourage a little bit of role playing in the group i i think depending on the people you play with i don't think the rules specifically like outline that but i think yeah if you have the right people the game is definitely better and i think a lot of a lot of games are kind of like that where the game is significantly better if you're playing with people who do get into character and really like live the story of the game basically i mean when you've been the murderer are you pretty good at kind of getting away with things or <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you mess up and just go right i killed him uh no I've, I've been pretty good at it i i will i'm big into storytelling so i'm pretty good at getting people to believe whatever i'm saying is true the stories even if they're just ridiculous stories they're like that makes no sense but sort of makes sense <laughs> at the same time so people are kind of double guessing if you're actually bluffing them and at the same time kind of thinking that you could be bluffing them and then realizing well he's maybe not bluffing them it's probably kind of true yeah and you can add special rules into the game so there can be a witness who knows who the murderer is but can't really do anything about it and uh there's a few other characters so you can add an accomplice um, who participated in the murder and um, that kind of gets interesting so depending on what roles you add the game can you know add interesting elements so could this whole explanation of murder in hong kong be a complete fabrication as well then <laughs> could you be making up the explanation that you've been giving me because now i'm just i'm gonna just get second guess <laughs> Everything, that you're, everything, pretty much that you've been saying. Um, joking aside, I mean, is there um, is there any games that you've been that you kind of um, you've been playing very recently that have kind of um, you you really really like or um, have taken have, have kind of got kind of got your interest, I guess. Well, I just bought some games um, that I really like. Like I, I'm a big fan of uh, Betrayal of the House on the Hill, but I hadn't owned a copy so i just bought one um and right. i just started playing pandemic legacy i'm going to start next thursday as the first campaign we're starting because uh, we played the normal version of pandemic kind of on yeah. the pandemic legacy board um just so that the other people who hadn't played it pandemic before would understand that so we'll actually start the campaign next week have you um have you looked through the box yet? Have you started looking through the cards? Or are you going to just kind of leave it completely fresh until the gaming groups together? No, I haven't looked through. I, we're going to leave it completely until oh, we're all that together. That's awesome. Is it is it is it a regular group that you meet up with then? Yeah. Um. When I I uh, lived in Gainesville, Florida, which is um, where I used to go to school. I I'm a student at the University of Florida. I just take online classes now. Mainly. All right. Okay. Um, okay. And so I moved back to Orlando, Florida, where most of my family lives. And so I got a gaming group of my family. And oh, what's cool. funny is none of them had played board games. And then I was like, "Yeah, you're gonna start doing this." Um, so now they do. <laughs> so did you draft everybody in to start playing board games? Yeah, and that's why I started with uh, what I felt to be easier games to learn and lighter things, so that I could kind of get them to realize that Monopoly is not the only game out there. It <laughs> uh, has to be a thing. I'm still amazed at the number of people though, and they say, "So, so, so, what do you do?" Well, I occasionally do. I do a podcast about board games. What Monopoly in that? 
Yes, Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. We've got a special on Buckaroo next week, and then the week after that, we're doing a Clue marathon. <laughs> of course, it's it's kind of all of those games. What are you thinking? But I'm still amazed. So, okay, as a quick aside, then, what kind of games do you introduce people that haven't played board games before to get them playing board games? So, I tried with things sort of like Smash Up, length, mm. um, and filler games. I played. Um, like Sushi Go and um, Star Realms, those sort of things where it's fairly easy and intuitive to pick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like Captain Carcass by Mayday Games a lot. All right, um, okay, yeah. You In the simplest rule set, it's pretty easy to play with anyone. Um, and so th- those are the kind of games I lean towards for starting new players with something that would be sub-30 minutes Um and would be easy for me to explain within a few minutes and wouldn't scare them out of it, basically. <laughs> Just have them running out of the room with their yeah. hands kind of wildly waving in the air going, let me out, yeah. let me out. No, you hear somebody said, is that Andrew trying to get people playing board games again? It's like, yes. <laughs> do, you, do, do you want me to pour a bucket of cold water on him again? No, it's fine. I think we don't want to ruin his cardstock kind of thing. Um... Is there, I mean, is there anything that you've seen that you'd like to get your hands on? Obviously, you've gone out and spent some cash dollar on some cardboard quite recently, but is there, I mean, everybody's got a wish list, but I mean, is there anything that you said, I really want to get my hands on this by hook or by crook? Um, I, You're not I, allowed to say Gloomhaven, by the way, because everybody's saying that. <laughs> I, I, I do want the Grim Forest. I did back that. Yes. Um, it's beautiful. Um, and James is super cool and has helped us with our campaign, so that helps. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, have you been? Are you been speaking to James quite a bit then? Yeah, a little bit. We had met um, once at Expedition Prototype Con in Orlando, and so uh, oh, we cool. talked through that. And then he posted us as one of his like top seven other games to follow on Kickstarter. Um, update. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I'm speaking back and forward with James. Um. Because he's in the middle of us of the campaign just now, so and it's been going like gangbusters basically. Mm. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what, there'll be a lot of people that'll be wanting your attention. We'll maybe have a chat when the kind of the dust is settled. So we're hoping to kind of get him on the show, kind of like at a, another day. Do you? I mean, are you quite a big backer of kind of Kickstarters then yourself? I am. I uh, I probably back too many Kickstarters. Um, I typically will pledge for like a dollar if I don't have money because I'm a broke college student. Um, <laughs> but I will try to back as many games for the game as possible, and I don't get to play all of them honestly. But I know that eventually I will, and I just like supporting other creators because I know like how much it meant to me when people support our projects, and how much it meant when my project, first project, funded, and so. If I can help other smaller creators get to that, I typically will support them. Um, there's obviously some exceptions where I support larger Kickstarters, but most of the time it's smaller creators that really need Kickstarter to fund and make their product a reality. So, I mean, what what made you go from being a guy that you know hadn't been in that long into board games to taking the massive step to kind of going out there and making your first one because you I mean 
the first game you made was called, you know, that was Cul-de-Sac. Cul-de-Sac Conquest, yeah? Mm-hmm. And that funded and it funded, you know, you, you got it funded and it funded reasonably well. But what makes, you know, what makes someone like yourself say, actually, I'm going to take this to the next level. I'm not just going to be the guy that plays something. I'm going to be the guy that goes out and puts, puts some kind of something together. Honestly, it was more about, I'm, I'm more of an entrepreneur than a game designer, I think. Like, I like game design and I've always been creative and enjoyed writing. And so this company has really been story focused. Um, and a lot of our games have unique and novel themes because I believe in storytelling. Um, but I actually always had business ideas when I was younger. I was like, any way to make money was something I was going to look into. So if I could wash people's cars or mow people's lawns, I, my dad had an AT&T story managed. I put a gumball machine in it. It was like my first real thing that started making money. It didn't make a super lot of money, but kids would, you know, pay their quarters and buy gumballs from me and all of his employees would pay to re-put gumballs in the machine. And I was like, wow, I have no inventory costs. This is great. <laughs> uh, so little Andrew loved that. And then I, I kind of like always was doing it for the money. And then, uh, I, started the the car game because i was really passionate and thought it could do well and it was less about money at that point and more about me wanting to make cool projects and bring it to life and so that's sort of why i kind of went gunko and went with the first kickstarter is because i knew that if i liked something that much and i wanted to start a business for it that would be increasingly more successful than if i had just started something for money and so i tried to do an industry that i really am passionate about rather than working in an industry that i could make a bunch of money and didn't really care too much about so so where did you get the idea for the for cul-de-sac conquest then where did that come from so it was actually originally a war game and it was sort of like a a necessity we uh Ran out of money for the first game, like I said, and I, I was looking for mm. investors and there was investors who were interested. And our pitch at the time was essentially we were trying to make it an automotive themed racing game, like I said, but we wanted to mm. integrate a digital component. So the money we were looking for was to create a digital gaming company that would supplement oh, right. the physical game. Yeah. Um, and so it was more like Hearthstone-esque than uh, anything. And so we were working on that and we had investors interested and whatnot. And then when none of them came through and I ran out of money, I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And I had this war game kind of on the docket that I had worked on mechanics for, but didn't really do anything with. So I told Mm -hmm. my business partners at the time, I was like, all right, we're going to switch games. We're going to do that. And then one day, um, August 15th, 2015, I started writing a story about an annoying neighbor. And I was like, all right. I, I immediately texted them and posted in board game groups and I was like, would anyone like a game about annoying neighbors? And everyone was like, that sounds like a great theme. And I was like, all right, changing the game. It's no longer about war. <laughs> Let's make it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's war on neighbors now and we made it and uh, did fairly well on Kickstarter. So that was really cool. I mean, do you find that? I mean, I mean, theme is becoming more and more of a difficult thing to come up with. You know, you, it, even, um, even the big guys, you know, you're, um, come on, I mean, they're going down the theme of, you know, they've had Vikings, they're now they've now had a medieval Japan kind of theme as well. 
do you think mm. that the traditional kind of normal dungeon crawlers are, are are having a look kind of elsewhere to get their themes now? You can't just put one of them out without people going, well, it has to be something special. I, I do think that theming is important, and I do think that a lot of Kickstarter creators and companies in general that are in this industry just feel like they can just add these kind of maybe potentially overused themes, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I do think there's a lot of room for them, and that's why that they keep being made, but there becomes a point when there's an, probably enough Cthulhu and zombie-themed games, uh, and so what I try to do and I try to publish are things that are, are different because I think that it gives us a unique advantage in the industry just because there's not as many companies thinking of weird themes. And like I'm designing a game right now that's uh, like 99% done, I like to think. Um, that's probably going to be our next Kickstarter about losing right. socks in the dryer. Um, and so it's <laughs> losing socks in the dryer. Yes, it's, it's basically about sock ghosts that are stealing everyone's socks, and that's why you can never form a pair. I uh, think that is possibly not just a theme. I think that is probably a credible theory that you should maybe look into getting proper scientific funding because I myself have been in the situation where I have checked washing baskets, drying baskets, clothes lines, clothes hangers, the tumble dryer, underneath the tumble dryer, behind the door, in my coat pocket, and definitely socks have gone, and there's been no explanation. So this is this is something you're developing that's almost there, and you're potentially looking at kind of pushing out in the future. Then. Yes, and uh, it's called Supernatural Socks. Um <laughs> So you've got a name for it? Yes. No, I, I have almost all the artwork done and everything. Um, really? Yeah, it, it's it's almost there. Each player has a washer and a dryer, and essentially you're playing socks into either your washer or your dryer, and everyone plays simultaneously. So you're placing socks and then revealing in t- turn order. Um, and then goes the ghost phase, so each player can decide whether they want to play their ghosts, which messes with other people's socks, or... Allows them to pull from the lost sock pile, which is a thing, of course. Um, so. <laughs> How do you brainstorm an idea like that? Did you just did you just sit there in the kitchen one day in the utility room and say, right, okay, what what happens to the socks? Was there flow charts involved? Yeah. I mean, did you actually get the socks out and play around with them? <laughs> that that would have been great. No, so it, it was. <laughs> It was actually a, a conversation I was having with my girlfriend. Um, my brother and I had this raining joke when we were younger that there were sock ghosts that were stealing all of our socks. And so we were playing a charade-esque game, and uh, you could say similar words, but you couldn't say certain words, one of those kind of games. Yeah. Um, and he was like, they steal our socks. And I immediately jumped up and was like, ghost. And everyone who was playing with us looked at me like, what the hell? <laughs> Uh, and he was like yes and went to the next word and everyone was like how in the heck was that right Um, maybe it's not even close but it was right yes and so it was right and they were just so confused so i told my girlfriend the story and then i was laughing and she was like that's pretty funny and i was like you know what? i'm gonna make a game about that and i wrote it on my whiteboard and then i just decided to make it and I made it in two days. I made all the card ideas and numbering in one day, and then the next day there was a big convention in Orlando, and I uh, 
had my business partner at the time drive me to the convention. And so in the two hour drive from Gainesville to Orlando, where it was at, um, I prototyped and made all the cards, wrote them on sticky notes and started playing it. And people seemed to really like it. So. Does your brother, is your brother aware that you've, um, you've stole a, an idea from him? He, he's aware. Um, is he? he <laughs> is he getting credited with it? Oh, I mean, probably. this is serious because you know, you know how. The, I mean, you're 22 now, but I mean, this could be, you know, 20 years down the line, you could be ending up in some kind of bust up, and it's all because that you had the sock ghost game, and he wasn't on the, um, he wasn't in the manual. <laughs> he'll he'll likely be on the manual as giving credit for knowing about the sock ghost. <laughs> Does he? I mean, does he get involved in any type of the design process as well, or is he just the guy that's went sock ghosts? Well, we we kind of thought of the idea together when we were younger. It was a kind of raining joke. I'm not really sure which one of us came up with that. All uh, oh, right, okay. But I'll still give him credit as partially very, coming up with that. That's very diplomatic of you. <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, he he does he does help me with some of the game design stuff. He gets busy and uh, doesn't yeah. work on it nearly as much as I do. It's more of my passion project kind of thing. But we okay. we are designing a game together currently um, about falling asleep at work. Um, I just it's kind of like you're just picking themes out there that you know. Because if I thought you know, I guess you get kind of like the big epic themes. You kind of get the themes that require the guy with the deep voice doing the, you know, doing the, you know, the ones I'm talking about. It was a time of peace. It was a time of war. Two factions struggled. And you're thinking about, it was a time at work. You couldn't keep your eyes open. They're dropping. Kind of thing. And it's just like, it's just an amazing theme to come out and say, okay, this is a, this is potentially a popular, I mean, how did that come around? Is this a kind of a, Staying up late at night and playing The Witcher three until two o'clock in the morning or something—is that how that? No, that one was uh, my. That one was my girlfriend pretty much entirely. I was uh, I was at my gaming store at the time. I owned a small gaming store at UFI. Won uh, free rent in this business plan competition I did, and she, right. she was sitting there and was telling me about this time she uh, she fell asleep at her. Well, it was like falling asleep at her daycare job because all the kids were sleeping um, for nap mm-hmm. time. And she was like, I almost fell asleep. And I was like, I think I should make a deception game about falling asleep at work where the employee's goal is to sleep as much as possible while still getting paid. And the manager's goal is to get the employees to be as productive and revenue generating as possible. Uh, that just sounds like life, Andrew. That doesn't sound like anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, it doesn't like anything special it, it's, but that would be cool it's real life um, so I, I think that I come up with themes that people relate to and are more real life things um, but I think can be done in a clever and funny way so mm-hmm. that one is um, basically the idea behind it is if you're on the employees team your goal is to be playing cards that allow you to sleep um but the managers can potentially catch you, and if they do, then they get advantages. So you're trying to compete against the managers. But players can switch teams. You can get promoted or demoted. So uh-huh. if an employee gets promoted, you don't know if they're really on your team or if they're just waiting until they switch to the other team. Um, so it's sort of a deception-style game in that respect. If like, you don't know 
ooh, is he really going to be a manager forever? Is he going to get demoted because he's such a bad manager? Ah, right, okay. Do you, I mean, have you got a notepad next to your bed that you wake up in the middle of the night and just go, a game about dishwashing, or, do you know what I mean, mowing your lawn, or going to the shops, or, you know, sewing buttons on the shirts? I mean, have you constantly got kind of ideas kind of floating about in your mind that, might make a good idea or might not make a good idea. Yeah, I used to do um a five minute game theme challenge that I would do every day. I've been kind of slacking like recently, honestly, but um I would come up with as many themes in five minutes as possible, and I tried to err on the side of things that people didn't do very often. Um, mm. One of my favorites that I'm kind of developing a game for but hasn't been finished is a game about T Rex trying to pick stuff up with their little arms. Um, so that's another one. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Is it different things? Do you start off with like really big things that they could definitely pick up and move down to smaller and smaller things? Yeah, so currently the idea for it is you're like a family of T-Rex and your mom isn't home. And so you're trying to pick up all the stuff that incriminates you for making a mess of the house while she was gone. Uh, that's just... I, I, I love it already. <laughs> you have to send me that right now because that sounds absolutely fantastic. I've always wondered what happens if a T Rex got a really, really itchy nose, and maybe that's how they kind of um, they all died out. Is because they ended up getting blocked up nostrils and then you just suffocated to death. That's yeah, always just been a theory. <laughs> the theory <laughs> sounds accurate. <laughs> Something like that happened. I'm pretty sure it was maybe not an asteroid. It was just like a. A kind of a an over kind of a, a, a it was a just the thing of bogeys. It was it was a lot of pollen, Florida. That that's <laughs> that's what we're known for. So they just went to Florida and got pollen everywhere. <laughs> and they had allergies, and there was no kind of eye drops or anything like that. So they just like ended up scratching, trying to scratch each other's eyes out, and then they died that way. That doesn't explain how everything else died out, but we could work on that. Yeah, the the rest <laughs> is explainable. <laughs> Stupid ideas why dinosaurs died out. <laughs> There's a game in itself, you know. I mean, let's talk. I mean, you know, mutant dinosaurs that scratch each other's eyes out. Let's talk about mutant crops. Okay. Because I am now my my appetite is now fully wetted, as they would say. So, tell us about what is mutant crops all about? Because it's it's live just now. It's been um, it's been going for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, tell the people, tell the good people at home, what's Mutant Crops all about? All right, so uh, Mutant Crops is the first game we're publishing that's not my own design. Um, it was designed by Sebastian Cosner, um in Argentina, and he actually has a publishing company there that published it in Argentina, and he's just having me publish it in English. So it was previously made in Spanish. All right. Um, okay. And the game is about farming mutated crops. So now these crops need to eat meat instead of just being watered. So you have to water and and feed your crops. So um, it's a light worker placement game. You have um, like 12 available actions at the beginning of the game. And as the the game progresses, you get additional actions you can perform. Um, But essentially, you're working within three resources. Seeds, which allow you to buy plants, and then... Uh, water and meat in order to feed and water your plants and then there's actions for each of those so you can uh, 
buy the plants and then your next turn maybe you decide to spend some of your resources that you've accumulated to feed it and the goal of the game is to be the richest farmer and so of course plants aren't going to be worth anything unless you feed or water them so they're only worth points if you feed or water them um, and then there's also a special ability action that will sometimes allow you to make use of other plants so even if you just sow another plant, even if you don't feed or water, it might be worth money if you already did all three available actions on another plant. Um, and the third action, the like special ability, is only able to be taken if you've already fed and watered it. So. And I can't see um, you would have taken this game to publishing or thought about publishing it if it hadn't been about something slightly strange. I, no, I probably wouldn't have. Um, honestly, I I like things that are different. I think that Kickstarter has been incredibly flooded with good games, and so you have to do something that stands out. And so I like games that have beautiful artwork but have themes that might be different and interesting and would stand out on someone's shelf a lot more than you know something mm. else. So, I mean, what I mean. What do you think makes mutant crops kind of stand out over the kind of the normal normal thing? I mean, why should people think about picking it up? So I think there's there's a few reasons. Um, the reason I wanted to publish it is because it's a really really light worker placement game, and as um, we kind of talked about earlier, my gaming group tends to to err on the side of not playing a lot of games, and so it would be really hard for me to be like, hey, let's go play. Agricola or something. Um, yeah. So instead of playing a larger scale worker placement game that might be more difficult for them to understand, uh, Mutant Crops is a good game for them to learn the worker placement element. Um, so learning game mechanisms, games that teach that um, to people that don't play a lot of games is something I'm interested in. So I thought that Sebastian did that really gracefully in Mutant Crops. And so that was sort of what I was most interested in about it. Um, and mm -hmm. when people came into my game store, everyone seemed to really like it. And then the other thing was I had worked with Sebastian before, and he's a great guy to work with, and so that definitely contributed um, to me looking at the game originally. And the artwork and theming, of course, uh, was in line with what we like to publish. So. Okay, okay. Has, um, has this given you kind of like a taste for maybe publishing other people's works as well then? I mean, you look. I mean, you've got a reasonable amount of time left on the game. It's pretty much close to being kind of funded, being kind of halfway through. Mm -hmm. So, is this is this another avenue you're kind of con considering going down and kind of publishing other people's games for them? Yes, I um, I definitely like designing games, um, but I definitely came into this more from an entrepreneurial approach, and if other people have games that I really think deserve to be in the market, and I don't think it'd be possible for them to get as wide of an audience without uh, using an existing publisher if they don't want to publish it themselves, um, I definitely would be interested in publishing more games from other designers. I like to see cool products get made, and if I didn't design it, and I can make some other designer really happy to see their game get made. That's actually a cool thing too. So. Would you um, <clears throat> would you step away from kind of the board game space and still kind of look at get, look at other things on Kickstarter? Then, I mean, are you kind of mutually exclusive to looking at board games now? Is that kind of going to be your jam, or you sound like you're 
I mean, you sound like, as you said, you're a bit of an entrepreneur, so... Um, not exactly. I've been looking at some other potential, uh, I guess, like geeky things, um, mm. is how I describe it. So I, I definitely have always wanted to write books and do comic books and stuff. So the company's eventual goal is probably going to be to expand into some of those verticals. Um, and I also have an affinity for, uh, various geeky related products. Products, so I um I had been looking at sourcing mugs and things like that that I could make with unique designs. So. Would you consider kind of like if you say your mutant crops gets funded and going on, would you make like mugs for that, merchandise for stuff like that? Would you consider doing that at all? Yeah, I would consider it. I think um most of the stuff would probably be more in tune with just general um geeky related things so like okay like a d6 mug is what i was particularly looking at um that wouldn't have what's, a hand what what's that what was that it wouldn't have a handle on it yeah so the idea was that that it would be a a d6 without a handle um and it would have a lid um so that i would mainly be used not just for you know, coffee and stuff like that, but you could also use it as sort of like a dice holder, but that would look good on a table kind of thing. So, I just know that what I would do is I would have a nice cup of coffee sitting there. I would forget that the coffee was in there and then I would I would roll the mug over <laughs> the table, screaming joy that I got a six and realised, you know, I was going to be in a lot of trouble with a wife because I just decided to smear coffee pretty much over our nice our nice kind of oak table <laughs> yeah I guess that would be a possibility <laughs> you mentioned books and comics so are you like everybody else you've got like a couple of books kind of inside you that you think you know you want to kind of get out there I mean is that what kind of things are you thinking about writing about or, or drawing about I mean are you an artist as well do you get involved in the art type of side too Andrew uh, I absolutely do not do art. Um, for everyone's best interest, I can draw stick figures, but the legs are always <laughs> uneven. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it, it adds character, but other artists tend to think that's not true. Uh, so. <laughs> its opinion is divided. Yeah. <laughs> I think stick figures are cool. Professional yeah. artists yeah, they, generally it, don't. It gets mixed reviews, but who, who cares? You know, art is subjective. So... <laughs> Um, I, I am a writer, um, so I, I wrote yeah. a book for National Novel Writing Month a few years ago. So in November, there's uh-huh. like a lofty goal of getting 50,000 words written in a month. And uh, I started about a week late, and I was able to complete it. So I wrote 50,000 words in like less than 30 days. Um, and the book is pretty much done. I still have to edit it and stuff, and it's just been a long time coming. But I have cover art for it and everything. Um, and it's a sci-fi kind of theme about a mad scientist. Um, and then I've been developing another book that I, you know, I always intend to make it, but it's just like on the back burner while I get busy with board game stuff that's more pressing. Like the Kickstarter has almost all my time. Um, but I, I do have things in the pipeline, and like I said, I'm I'm an entrepreneur, so I uh, I've been writing sort of like an entrepreneurship journal about starting a company, and so I write mm. like 
pretty much daily logs of like what happened during the day and like what my exact moods are to kind of show that the peaks and troughs of entrepreneurship and to show kind of like it's not really easy to start a company and all the times when it looks like things are gonna fall apart and then they you know come and turn out to be a really good thing so like for example we got stuck in Hanjin Shipping's bankruptcy when um oh, we were shipping cul-de-sac yeah so um all for anyone that doesn't know Hanjin was like the seventh largest shipping company in the world and they uh went yeah. bankrupt and they just anchored their ships wherever they were and so we had just taken out a loan to finalize all the cost of cul-de-sac and we had to pay the loan but we didn't have any inventory because it was stuck at sea for like two and a half months um, and so for a small company that was a huge impact and we really thought that it, the company wasn't going to survive because of it and so icv2 an industry magazine wrote about it and it actually gave us a bunch of publicity and was really helpful and then once we got the inventory we were able to sell enough that the company stayed in good standing and were able to lower the interest payments on the loan so it, it seemed like the company was going to go out and there was a, a few days of like oh shit kind of moments <laughs> and then and then it well, you know, no, I, no, I shouldn't be laughing because that's not that's not it, a good thing no i i mean it, it's funny now L- looking back at it it's it then that's what what i want the book to be about i feel like a lot of entrepreneurship books are the like Ooh, kind of stuff where they're like look i made a bunch of money you can do it too kind of thing and <laughs> I know. make it look like that nothing hard ever happened to them or no, i was yeah i was joking recently about somebody saying you know they said remember get up every morning and set yourself five goals about what you're gonna do yeah and, that, and it's like why <laughs> and and honestly i feel like they're, they're so like they're, a lot of business books are so it's like self-helpy and it's it's not gonna help any or at least most people most people will read it and they'll think i'm not like them they're a millionaire i'm not like them and they won't relate to it and so i wanted to create a book that's more relatable of like when i started the company i was 17 years old with no money and then i went to college and i still had no money and then i was like the two poorest groups of people in one of like a college entrepreneur Um, Mm -hmm. and so i started without a lot of money and i think that a lot of people could learn from that Um, and so the book's more focused on or the goal of the book is to be more focused on that kind of end so So, okay going back to mutant crops just very very quickly Mm -hmm. for people that um for people that are listening tonight and they're thinking well i'm going to just check this out what i give me the kind of the i guess the elevator pitch for mutant crops and why people should be looking at it and 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 kind of thinking about backing it all right well mutant crops is a two to four player light worker placement game that plays in 15 to 30 minutes um so Mm. people who are a fan of the worker placement mechanism that might need a filler game it's great for that people want to teach their worker placement game mechanism to someone who doesn't play a lot of games the game is also very good for that it has beautiful artwork of crazy mutated crops. Um, so if you're interested in crazy looking crops, um, this is definitely the game for you. The artwork is beautiful. Um, it has a cool story because Sebastian, the designer of the game and the graphic designer behind it, actually works with his wife who does all the artwork. Um, oh, right. Okay. 
and the game is only $19 on Kickstarter. The MSRP yeah. is $24.99, so it, it's cheaper on Kickstarter than you'll get it at retail. So support now. How do you manage to keep the cost? I mean, how do you manage to keep the cost in quite low? Because that is a really reasonable price for <sighs> a game. I mean, normally for a card game, I've seen card games for $25. $30, especially on Kickstarter because they have to think about the shipping side of things. Mm-hmm. So how did you manage to keep it kind of like the sub $20 mark? Um, it's difficult. So we, we had to ask manufacturers exactly what components we needed in order to fit that price point um, at certain goals. So that's why we had to set a $10,000 goal instead of we wanted to do a lower goal and for some like mainly card-based games you could do that, but with all the mm. meeples and stuff that we had to add, it didn't seem like it would be reasonable to do that. Our costs were just going to be too high. Um, and so we're actually manufacturing at a slightly higher minimum order quantity than uh, we would otherwise, just because mm. it gets our, our price low enough um, in order to, to you know sell it for $19 on the Kickstarter. But like I said, the, the price in retail is going to be uh, like $25, which I think is fairly reasonable for what the game is and it's a smaller box game so that it's more portable and we really love the box size so we hope other people like it as well if it funds will that allow you to go to retail as well or will you need to be quite over funding to go into providing the game at retail too so we actually have several retailers who funded the kickstarter so they'll be the first ones to have it um for retail And then as far as like distribution outside of Kickstarter, we have cul-de-sac in distribution in the U.S., Canada, and Europe um, right now. So we're Uh hoping that we're able to work with those same distributors to distribute mutant crops. Um, Mm -hmm. But it would be significantly after the Kickstarter, at least several weeks after, um, and kind of is a hit or miss kind of thing. Uh, Distributors are are very weary of what products they offer and sometimes it's difficult to communicate with them and get your product into distribution. Okay. Do you have, I mean, we've been talking kind of light in what sounds like very, very good fun games. Is there the, um, is there the kind of the, I guess, the the kind of the big box game for Atheris? So... The plan has always been to create more big box games. Like I said, I enjoy playing those. I just don't get to play them with my gaming group as often. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just really, really expensive and difficult to manufacture a bigger box game. And we didn't want to try to bite off more than we could choose. So we are working on smaller games and funding several a year. And then the idea is that we'll continue making some smaller box games. But every mm-hmm. year or so, we'll develop one larger scale game that is sort of what we want to work towards what kind of thing would you like to do i mean if somebody says okay here's you know here's 100k you don't have to worry about you don't have to get it funded you don't have to even distribute it you want to make your game that people can look at and go whoa this is amazing what kind of big box game would you like to make or yeah or big box small box what would be your kind of your your game that you'd love to get out there and make honestly i would I'd probably try to find an existing game, well, like a de- another designer, um, and get a bigger box game that I could make something beautiful and has a really cool theme, but also has really solid mechanics to back it up. Um, I don't think there would be any 
particular mechanic or anything that would really super be interested in. I like worker placement games and I like um, a bunch of different style games. So it's one of those things I don't, I don't think there's any like specific game I'd want, but I, mm-hmm. it's sort of like one of those things I would know it when I see it kind of thing. If I had the money and I was looking mm-hmm. for games, I would know when I found the game that I really wanted. So. Would you ever consider something like putting together your own legacy game? I, I mean, you're saying you know you're saying theme and story and stuff like that is important to you. Would that be something that you would do? Absolutely, I I definitely would like to because I think legacy games do lend themselves to story, and I mm. I have been very interested in whatever Charter Stone is going to be from Stone. Oh um, yes, no, yeah. no one really knows. He he releases very little, but. Um, just the the thought of it is kind of interesting to me a legacy game that has you know a game afterwards um and it seems like it has beautiful artwork um i do think that legacy games do lend themselves to a good story um and so i think that would definitely be something we would be interested in (laughs) i think we need to do a legacy game about a t-rex that struggles to find his socks (laughs) um while driving about in his various automobiles one in each foot and uh, then decides to turn vegetarian for all of two days until he gets attacked by some mutant vegetables yeah and one of them was his annoying neighbor <laughs> one of them was the annoying brontosaurus that lives yeah. next door <laughs> um <clears throat> for people that want to that have listened tonight and say you know and they want to find out some more where do you live and exist on the interwebs nets? All Where of, can they find you? Yeah, all of our social media is at Atheris Games. Uh, it's A-T-H-E-R-I-S. Um, mm-hmm. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I personally am very open for people adding me on Facebook and talking to me too. So if anyone's interested in learning about starting a publishing company and need advice or whatever... Um, my name is Andrew Russell Burkett on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find. I have really long red hair. So. <laughs> this is the thing with your Skype picture. This is this is this is true. To anybody's listening. When we started the call, the normal Andrew's picture came up, and it's Andrew with really really short hair. And then when the call came through, and Andrew had his camera on, it's a completely different guy. <laughs> Yeah. I, every, I thought I dialed through the wrong person. <laughs> every time that I go on podcast, that's the thing that I get literally every single time. And uh, yeah. when I went to the airport, um, the lady took my ID from TSA and she looked at it for a good like two minutes and she said, is this you? And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's me. <laughs> uh, and she looked at me and she's like, what would you look like without long hair and a beard and then I pointed at my ID and I was like like that <laughs> like that <laughs> oh dear um, as per usual what we'll do is um, you obviously you can provide us with all the links for everywhere and we will make sure that it goes into the show notes so that we have um, notes to show as all I right. would say um, if you want to keep a track on what we're up to and I still have no idea why so many of you do. Um, <clears throat> we are also on Twitter. You can find us at um, We're Not Wizards. We're on Facebook at We're Not Wizards. We're on Instagram 
at We're Not Wizards. You can find us on YouTube if you search for We're Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. Because if you search for We're Not Wizards, otherwise you get some kind of basketball team coming up. I don't know who they are. Um, <clears throat> we are also on Acast and Stitcher, and we're also on iTunes which I think if you search for We're Not Wizards podcast, you'll find us, or just We're Not Wizards, you'll find us. If you've liked what you heard tonight, um, then please, you know, rate and review us on iTunes. Apparently this does some kind of magical thing and helps everywhere, apparently. Um, if you are going to rate and review us, remember, don't give us a 10, because that makes us big-headed. But don't give us a 1, because that will make us cry. Can I give us somewhere in the middle, like five, which is kind of average, because we are definitely average. <laughs> um, this has been a lot of fun, Andrew. You're a fascinating, you're a fascinating person that's done so much at some, such a young age, which is probably going to make me go away and reassess what I've been doing with my life for the last forty-two years. So thanks and no thanks for that. <laughs> um. <laughs> But again, but genuinely, thank you very much for coming on. It's been it's, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. <laughs> um, there's only a couple of things left to do. And the first thing for everybody out there is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Andrew? I don't think so. I definitely don't think so. I'd rather be a sock getting lost <laughs> under the washing machine or even in the dark cellar than being one of those wizard people <laughs> that was nonsense um, but until the next time it is a goodbye from the fantastically entrepreneurial Andrew Burkett say goodbye Andrew goodbye, thanks for listening it, yeah thanks for listening and it's a goodbye from me, remember Stay safe, roll sixes, and um, watch out when you're um, if you are in the greenhouse and you're sorting out your tomatoes um, because some of them might just bite back. But until next time, bye for now. Mm-hmm.